I broke down and made a handout because there's entirely too much writing on this board. And uh, obviously you're not going to be able to read it from the back. So you'll have a handout coming out that shows you exactly uh, what we're covering. <laughs> yeah, amen to that, right? <laughs> amen. So our sixth week, our sixth lesson, I'm probably going to take a break from this here. I'll turn it on in just a minute there, Superstar. Probably take a break from this, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Lesson number six in uh, pneumatology, that's the proper name for the study of the Holy Spirit. And uh, some of this has been repetition, but a lot of it's been uh, helpful. And uh, before we get started, uh, let's pray. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Father, we sure do thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for Calvary. Father, if you wouldn't have gone to the cross for us and suffered and shed your blood for us, Lord, there'd be no need for us to meet here. So, Father, we're thankful that you did. Father, keep us mindful of the sacrifice that you made for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we look into this uh, study tonight, into your word. And Father, I pray that you'd give us all understanding. Father, would you please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, help us, Lord. We know that to study, we have to be a workman. And, Lord, some of this stuff is work. So I pray that you'd simplify it for us and make it plain and open our eyes, we pray. And I pray we get a blessing from it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today we're going to study in this lesson, as you can see, uh, about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the believer. And uh, there's obviously more than just 44, but we're going to look, well, we'll see. <laughs> we're going to look at uh, uh, the active work of the Holy Spirit in 44 different particulars. And this is extremely important once again, uh, not because we needed filler, not because we needed time, but because in the day and age that you and I live in, the people who talk about the Holy Spirit don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And I'm, uh, do me a favor, you go back to my office and get my uh, hanky, sorry. Um, but uh, the people who talk so much about the Holy Spirit, uh, if the truth were known, the spirit they claim to know so much about, I hate to say it, is an unholy spirit, but not the Holy Spirit of the Bible. Uh, the people that you're going to run into that are entrenched in the charismatic movement, uh, assembly of God groups, and so forth and so on, they have the misconception that somehow the Holy Spirit is what makes you run around and speak in some unknown tongue. And that's a cry and shame because they are, their passage for that is Acts chapter 2. And there is no unknown tongue in Acts chapter 2. If you read that thing carefully, there is no crazy, you know, weird alien angel tongue there. It's all known languages, which is a great dis uh, disheartening fa uh, thing if the groups that actually believe that would read their Bible. And that's very important for these individuals. You say, why? Well, they base everything uh, that they uh, teach and preach about and throw fits about uh, basically off of Acts chapter 2, Mark chapter 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, those three chapters provide probably 75% or greater of the material that they hover and blubber around about. Now, there's 44 ways that the Holy Spirit works in the believer, in the believer, and, uh, and that's what we want to look at. Let's jump right into that. We've got a lot of ground to cover, as one feller said from an old uh, a 1978 movie. He said, we've got a, a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> 
So uh, uh, the first one we want to look at is the Holy Spirit. He assures the born-again believer of sonship and makes him like Jesus Christ. I've got the scripture reference up there, and I've got it on the handout for you. Thank you very much. Sorry you had to carry that uh, unholy thing there all the way up here. But the first one is Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the born-again believer never doubts his sonship or his father. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 4, 6, we receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And, of course, in Romans chapter 8, 16, and 17, the Bible says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. So we are the sons of God, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit to assure us of this sonship. You say, well, I've struggled with uh, my sonship, and I've struggled with my salvation then basically what you're doing is you're calling God a liar. There's two passages of Scripture right there. There's two, two passages, three verses that tell you it's the Holy Spirit's job to assure you. Now, are you saved? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, then believe what his book says about it. See, when you stop believing the book, you start calling God a liar. And when you call God a liar, what you do is you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. All right, so it's the Holy Spirit's job. Number two, the Holy Spirit seals the believer as a pledge or an earnest of future glory. The Holy Spirit seals the believer as a pledge or earnest of future glory. Uh, he seals the believer and he puts him in the earnest or pledge of future glory that someday he'll be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, the predestination that you find there in Ephesians chapter 1, I'll read it here, 13, in whom he also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. All right, the predestination there has nothing to do with salvation. Matter of fact, that two times that word appears, it occurs in relationship to a man who's already been saved, received Christ, being predestinated unto adoption. And a man who's already been saved, being predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So our second one here, it's the Holy Spirit's uh, job. He seals the believer as a pledge or earnest of future glory. Basically, you've been given the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. And that day of redemption is, is when you get your brand new body. And that's why you've been given that Holy Spirit that's an earnest or a pledge of future glory. Therefore, the destination of you and I, if you are saved, is absolutely fixed. It's certain. It's infallible. It'll never change. And the Holy Spirit brings this pledge into the body of the believer when he's saved. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And the believer is not sealed. Uh, he, he, I'm sorry, the believer is sealed, not until someone tells you that you fall from grace, which is heresy. But not until you quit believing, which is another bunch of garbage. But the Bible says you're sealed until the day of redemption, the day of redemption. All right, more work in the, in the relationship to believer number three. Uh, the Holy Spirit fills the believer with himself, giving a victorious life. Now, the interesting thing about that in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 18, the Ephesians uh, had a problem with drinking. They had a problem with drinking. So you know what Paul says? He says uh, there in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
So we read that uh, we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Not all that, but Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we read the, uh, the disciples were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. When a child of God, when a believer is filled with the Holy Ghost, not some uh, unknown tongue, you know what he does? He's bold. He's bold in his witness for Jesus Christ. I reckon that gives account for why so many people are not filled with the Spirit of God. There's not much boldness unless it's for their own accord. When the disciples were filled with the Spirit of God, they went out and spread Jesus Christ all over the neighborhood. Now, you know we're in the last days, amen. We preach about it in Sunday school. We talk about it during, preach about it during the morning service. But we're in the last days. But still, it's the job of the Holy Spirit. He fills the believer with himself, giving him a victorious life. Amen. And you should pray and you should ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, let's move on. Number four. Number four, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, and sets him apart unto holiness. Sets him apart unto holiness. Now, we preached about uh, sanctification uh, probably about a month ago, but it's the Holy Spirit and the believer that, set, that sets him apart from the world, sets him off for God, and reserves him for God's use. Now, if uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Belief of the truth. So it's the job of the Holy Spirit in the believer to set you apart from this world. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, He comes in to stay forever, which is another a job that He does. But He's the one that sets you apart. He's the one that sets you apart. Now here's number five. The Holy Spirit continually abides in the believer according to John 14, 16. I'll read the passage. It's real simple. And this is his work. John 14, 16. And I'll pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now some of these verses are obviously been repeated two, three, four, and five times. But they should be a comfort to you. He will abide with you forever. So the Holy Spirit continually abides in the believer. Number six, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and teaches the believer. That's the job of the Holy Spirit in relationship to you and I. He takes the word of God and he teaches us. John 14, 26. See, it's a crazy thing. Sometimes we think we're the ones that's learning it. But we're the ones getting taught. We're the ones getting taught. All our job is to read it. Our job is to study it. Our job is to meditate in it, and our job is to constantly think about it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to teach us. All right, John 14, 26, the Bible says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. There it is. He shall teach you all things. Now we'll hold on to that verse because that will tie into the next one. Number six, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, teaches the believer. And then, of course, number seven, the Holy Spirit brings all things to remembrance that have been faithfully learned. Faithfully learned. And that's the second part of that verse there. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the believer. What he does is you read the Bible, you uh, peruse in it, you marinate in it, and you get real uh, intimate with the Bible. And then at the time that's necessary, the Holy Spirit inside of you brings that stuff to remembrance. So there's no doubt, no question. And many times where there's questions of doubt, it's where you and I have not been faithful to study the Word, you and I have not been faithful to read the Word, and we surely have not been faithful to memorize the Word. So number seven, he brings all things to remembrance that have been faithfully learned. How about number eight? The Holy Spirit testifies to the believer regarding Jesus Christ. 
Now, in the believer, he reveals Christ constantly. Constantly, he's revealing Jesus Christ to you and I. That's John 15, 26. The Bible says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of the truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So that's the peculiar yet uh, absolute straight job of the Holy Spirit. He's to testify of Jesus Christ. He doesn't testify of himself. He doesn't get up and tell you to talk about the Spirit. He doesn't get up and tell you to testify of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the speaking of some unknown tongue. He, he encourages you and he, he's the one that guides and directs you to testify about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You can tell the difference between some immature Christian who's never been taught or read his Bible more than 30 seconds a day in his life getting up and talking about the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. And the Spirit did this for me and the Spirit did that. And a believer that could have been saved one week and he gets up and he gives thanks and testimony and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at number nine. The Holy Spirit in the believer guides him into all truth. That's John 16, 13. The Holy Spirit's job in relationship to the believer is that he'll guide you into all truth, all truth. You say, well, I've been in error a couple times. Well, the times that you were in error, you were not guided there by the Holy Spirit. You were guided there by some unholy spirit. And that is the cure for error. This hobbly-gobbly stuff and Christians, have, uh, they start following that. They quit following the leadership of the Holy Spirit into truth and are following their emotional experience into error. That's what happens. The Bible believers should be constantly in tune with the Holy Spirit. I mean, just as many individuals that think it's a good idea to be in tune with your wife and in tune with your husband, and you got this, this uh, you know, ecumenical baloney, uh, what is it, in-touch ministries and out-of-touch and partially-touch and not-touching, all that stuff. You ought to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. You ought to have communion with the Holy Ghost. And as long as you seek truth, you know what? You're going to find it. As long as you're seeking the truth and you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you'll find it. Because the Bible says that he's promised that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. When you find a believer who's stopped with the truth of total depravity like the Calvinists have, or the truth of eternal security like the Baptists have, or the truth of the gifts of the Spirit like the Charismatics have, then you're dealing with a backslidden heretic who stopped following the lead of the Holy Spirit. God has then quit showing them the truth. And we're preaching a little bit about that in Sunday school. It says they shall go no farther. In the last days, you've got Christians who no longer want the truth, but they resist the truth. I understand that's not here tonight. I'm not getting on you. I'm just saying how you know in your own Christian life, when the Lord stops revealing truth to you, you've got to question that. You've got to go, why is the truth, why is the light off? Am I in fellowship with Jesus Christ? Am I following an unholy spirit? Have I questioned the Holy Spirit's lead in my life? And you've got to try that stuff out. So he guides the believer into all truth. Bible says in John 8, 32, Jesus Christ said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Why do you suppose millions upon millions of Christians today in 2023 don't know the truth if it hit them in the face? That's a sad thing. Now, it sounds like we're being harsh, but we're being factual. Because there are, you could pick up the next 10 carload of Christians that go by here and ask them what the truth is about a dozen subjects, and you get about 50,000 different answers. Why? God's quit showing them the truth. 
You say, why? They've stopped following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But the job of the Holy Spirit is, as you see here, to guide the believer into all truth. Now here's the thing, truth is a progressive thing. I don't know if you give much thought to that. Truth is a progressive thing. And the Bible said about many people in the last day that they would be ever learning and never ever come to the knowledge of the truth. You ever stop and consider that thing? Why so many Christians keep learning and learning and learning and learning and will watch this doctor today and that doctor tomorrow and read this article here and about this doctor here, but they ain't got a clue what's going on in the Christian life. That's ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. So the cure for error is what? Love for the truth. The cure for error is love for the truth. And of course, when we say love for the truth, we're not talking about your personal experiences either. With the great emphasis on humanism popping up over the last 75 years, been at least 75 years, the born-again believers in many churches have adopted a liberal or humanistic approach toward the Bible. Did you catch that? With the approach and the arrival of humanism in the church over the last 75 years, what has happened is many born-again Bible believers have adopted a liberal or humanistic approach toward the Bible. Why? It's in the world you live in. This approach consists of the belief that with a certain amount of knowledge and a certain amount of education, the believer is able to therefore correct the scripture. That's the thought. That's the concept. That's the mindset. Or if he's had enough of emotional experience of what he thinks is a scriptural nature, he's equipped to interpret the Bible contrary to what the word of God says. So here's the humanistic approach. Number one, that makes a God out of man. Number two, in preparation for the Antichrist, who will be the devil man. Uh, number three, he's infected the Bible-believing churches to the extent that Bible-believing people are worshiping men in television entertainment and setting up human experiences, the infallible authority over the written words of God. And it goes like this. Basically, this humanism or modernism or whatever you want to call the thing is now practiced by fundamental, I'll say it again, by fundamentalists, Bible-believing Christians, especially those coming out of Christian colleges and Christian universities. And I've thought it the weirdest thing. And some people call me anti-education. I'm not. I'm not. Go in my office. I'll show you what little bit of education I got. I'm not against education. But I've found it real odd and real strange why a multitude of Christians have seen fit to ship their youngins down the road to Christian colleges without even thinking about the repercussion that's going to happen. When the fact of the matter is, is you better be really careful what kind of pressure you put on your kids. Do you know what God wants your kids to do? No, then shut your mouth. Why not let God sort that thing out? Well, God gave them to me, and you better, you better give them to him or you'll blow them all to pieces. I know we're a small crowd here tonight. There's no vendetta. I'm just saying, it just always blows my mind while people just shove their kids off to Christian schools like it's no big deal. You say, well, that's where all the heresies coming out of these days. Well, what's going on is it's a viral infection. You say, what's going on in these Christian colleges? They make gods out of men. And it's infected the faculty members of Christian schools so bad that they train preachers and teachers to do what? To correct the word of God. Now, I understand you don't hear that here. Praise the Lord for it. We'll no sense of straightening pictures. But you need to know that. And your head doesn't need to be in the sand over that thing. 
And the, the biggest danger is not, uh, is not uh, you know, the next election. One of the biggest dangers while the, the days that we last here in the Laodicean church period is all the heresy coming out of these Christian colleges and the humanism thinking that they're smart enough to correct the Bible. This is manifest by the fact that these fundamentalists who are actually liberal, uh, they take their emotional experiences and then they feel qualified enough to correct the Word of God. And I couldn't, I couldn't say that enough. However, the Holy Spirit has promised to guide the believer into all truth in John 16, 13. So where you cease to love the truth, where you cease to seek after the truth, that's where the Bible believer goes into error. You need to remember that. Number 10, the Holy Spirit takes our bodies and glorifies Christ in them and through them, according to John 16, 14. John 16, 14, the Bible says, He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So that's what he does. He takes our bodies. It's the job of the Holy Spirit, the present work of the Holy Spirit. And he glorifies Jesus Christ in them and through them. Look at number 11, same, same reference. The Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. You see the verse again? He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal things to you. Reveal things to you about Jesus Christ. I'll give you number 12. The Holy Spirit gives the Christian power to obey God in times of weakness. Aren't you thankful for that? The times that you can't, you can't seemingly possibly obey what the Lord wants you to do in temper. The times that you can't seemingly possibly obey what the Lord says about how you should love somebody and how you should treat somebody. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He gives you power and He gives you strength to do things that you don't think you can do. And it's the Holy Spirit that strengthens us. And uh, we've got one reference there, and that's Ezekiel 36, 27. And he's talking to uh, Ezekiel there. He says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Of course, it's to Israel. Of course, it's about a future time and place. But in the practical application, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. All right, let me give you this one. Number 13, the Holy Spirit gives you the believer power to obey the truth irrespective of the cost. You ever stop and think why you've made some of the decisions you've made? It's because the Holy Spirit was there who said, stop worrying about the cost. I've got your back. Do what's right. 1 Peter 1.22, the Bible says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren. You ever stop and think about when you actually do do right? That's the Holy Spirit of God helping you do it. Let me tell you what, you cannot do anything without the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are not going to do anything that pleases the Father without the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you and I the power to obey God in times of weakness. And the Holy Spirit here in number 13 gives the believer power to obey the truth irrespective of the cost. Irrespective of the cost. How about number 14? The Holy Spirit gives the believer freedom from the law of sin and death. That's a blessing. He gives you freedom from the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8, 2. The Bible says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. He didn't set you free. He made you free. There's a big difference. Set you free, you could choose not to leave. Made you free, that's a big difference. You're free now whether you want to be free today or not. He's made you free. 
and he gives you the believer to obey the truth and he gives the believer freedom from the law of sin and death. If it was just setting you free, then you could possibly go back into it and lose it, but you can't. How about number 15, the Holy Spirit? He takes the weak believer and fulfills the law of righteousness in him. A lot of times in the Christian life, you think it's just about being rough and tough and rude and crude and the more I know, that's what the world says, the more I know, knowledge is power. Well, yeah, you see where that got Adam and Eve, amen? <laughs> you see where it got her. The more she knew, the more she got into trouble. But the Holy Spirit takes the weak believer and fulfills the law of righteousness in him. That means that even for the person that's weak, the Lord Jesus Christ in that believer, the Holy Spirit, can make him what he ought to be by the grace of God. That's why you have to be very careful in how you treat your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Just tell it to Jesus. Give them to the Lord. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, even down from witnessing to a lost soul to trying to be an encouragement to a young believer. Even the weak believer can be made what he ought to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. How about number 16? The Holy Spirit gives the believer power to please God by granting victory over the flesh, according to Romans 8, 8, 1 and 2. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You see that thing there, Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit, His work is to give you and I power to please God. How? By granting us victory over the flesh. You know what you need this week? You need victory over your flesh. You say, well, I had a pretty good day yesterday and I had victory yesterday. You can't live off of yesterday's victories. You need new victories every single day. Amen? That's why you need to constantly, like we preached this morning, always be asking counsel of the Lord and don't neglect it like Joshua did in that one instant. Now I look again, I don't see Joshua neglecting it ever again. I guess that means he learned his lesson. What a costly lesson. For the rest of their days, the Hivites, the Gibeonites were stuck with them and they had to go to war for them in the next chapter. And who knows the countless souls that even ended up in the pit because of the uh, ungodly ways of the Hivites that God told the ch children of Israel to destroy. But you and I need victory over our flesh to be able to please God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work and he gives us power to do so. All right, number 17, the Holy Spirit, what he does is he'll quicken our mortal body of ours after we're dead, Romans 8, 11. He'll quicken our mortal body <coughs> of ours after we're dead. The Bible says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth within you. That's one of the greatest encouragements you could ever take with you and remember from time to time that the very same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he's inside of you. So the very moment you either die or the rapture takes place, you're going to blast out of here at about Mach 10, just like that. I mean, you have a renewable energy source inside of you that Cape Carnival would love to get a hold of, amen? But they never will. They never will. Well, let me give you this one, number 18. The Holy Spirit gives power to mortify the deeds of the body and put the deeds of the body to death in Romans 8.13. The Bible says in Romans 8.13, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Talking about really living spiritually. You say, what do I have to do? You've got to ask the Holy Spirit for help. You've got to ask the Lord for help. And the Holy Spirit gives you power to put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Number 19, the Holy Ghost directs the believer in his prayer life to pray in the will of God. This ought to be a comfort to every Christian here today. Look at Romans 8, 26 and 7. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Amen? I don't know how to pray, and you don't know how to pray, but the fact of the matter is, if you take time to pray, the Holy Spirit takes your prayer no matter what form it is, and He puts it into the will of God, and He sends it up to the Father. That's a blessing. Let that be an encouragement just to take time to pray. You say, well, I sound stupid. Yeah, you probably do, amen, so do I. <laughs> it's not about how you sound. It's not an oration. You know, uh, I remember back when I was a kid and we went to church here and there's people, you know, the church is so busting and bumping, people jumping out the windows it seemed like. And they'd ask some people to pray and they'd get up and, oh, God, you know, and just, just get off in this great oration and perfect little poetry prayer and so forth. That's not praying. That's giving a speech. <laughs> Don't you worry about what, what it sounds like. Was it Robert Murray McShane said, better it would be to have a, a heart without How's that thing go? Better to have a prayer without heart than heart without prayer. But that's a, okay, mess that thing right up. I knew I should have written it down. But Robert Murray McShane is a great preacher of old. He said some great things about prayer. And what he's trying to get across is when you pray, it doesn't matter how it sounds as long as your heart's into it. When you go to the Lord in prayer, your heart ought to be into it. Your heart's desire ought to be, Lord, I want to get a hold of you. I want to spend some time with you. And I have some needs. I have some supplications. And by the way, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. And the Holy Spirit therefore takes that thing and he directs you in your prayer life in the will of God. And number 20, the Holy Spirit gives the believer victory over the terrible desires of the flesh when we yield to him. That's Galatians chapter 5. But that's the thing. When it comes to that, you've got to learn to put the brakes on when it comes to pleasing the flesh. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that becomes the equation for the Christian. You don't just focus on stop doing the bad. You take your focus, you take your energy, you take your priorities, you take the pressure, and you put it on doing what's right. And when you do what the right thing is to do, as it says in 16, you walk in the Spirit. The Bible says, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The problem you have with that eye, the problem you have with that thought, the problem you have with that ear, the problem you have with that hand, the problem you have with that foot, you do the right thing, and God says he'll take care of the rest. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Man, that's one of the greatest symbols and signs in the world that you're saved. You say, what is that? <laughs> that you're a mess. <laughs> that you've got co continuous conflict. You're conflicted with yourself. I mean, don't you ever uh, go through the week and you have a, a decent day? Or maybe, you just, maybe you're different. You just start Monday and it's terrible, right? And by Monday night, you're trying to reel back into shape. And Tuesday morning, you're back in fellowship with the Lord. And then Tuesday, man, you're, uh, by noon, you're living on the mountain. Tuesday night, boy, you do, the rapture could come be the best thing in the world. Come Wednesday morning, you thought you about lost your salvation, but you can't. Man, that seems to be how my week goes. Man, it's up and down and up. We say, well, you're a man. Well, besides that, I'm a spiritual yo-yo. Conflict. <laughs> spiritual conflict. But the Holy Spirit, he gives the believer victory over the terrible desires of the flesh when we yield unto him. Well, we're doing all right tonight. I know it's a lot of material, but to cover it in a somewhat, you know, orderly fashion, I want to keep the thing moving. 
I'm telling you, the job of the Holy Spirit, he's nonstop, nonstop in his relationship to the believer. And we've covered 20 out of 44 so far. 20 out of, and we're just getting going. I hear number 21, the Holy Ghost leads the believer out from under the law to liberty in Christ. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18. The Bible says, but if ye let be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. There's another great uh, 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 proof of your salvation is there, can you be led by the Spirit of God? Because if you can't be led for the Spirit of God, there's a good possibility you're not even saved. When the, when the Holy Ghost deals with you and tugs at your heartstrings, do you notice it? Do you listen to it? Do you let him lead you? All right, number 22, the Holy Spirit is the one who causes us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And this is very important. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The modern emphasis of the so-called uh, gifted nuts who think that they're gifted but really have no gift is a turning away from the fruit of the Spirit. Ever since this Pentecostal and charismatic movement started back in the 1900s with the Azusa Street Missions, they put all their emphasis on gifts and they stopped putting any emphasis at all on the fruit of the Spirit. You say, why? Because a gift makes them look like they have power where a fruit is something that the Holy Spirit produces. You'll never hear a charismatic talking about having fruit of the Spirit. They're always talking about a bunch of gifts that they have and that they possess an experience that made them gifted or full of charisma. That's what that means. Charisma is a gift. So forth, the charismatic movement. I call it the charismaniac movement, but at any rate. But the modern emphasis of this is a turning away from the fruit of the Spirit. A turning away from the fruit of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who causes us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will not be able to produce spiritual fruit in your life. The work of the Holy Spirit and the believer brings forth eternal things that will abide forever. You see that? That's the difference. The work of the Holy Spirit is it brings forth eternal things that will abide forever. The reason why the emphasis has been shifted from Galatians 5 to 1 Corinthians 12, from the fruit to the gifts, is because, number one, the Corinthians were a carnal bunch of Christians at Corinth. And number two, it's much easier to pretend that you have something that you don't, like a gift, than it is to bear fruit that you're not in charge of bearing. Hence, the people who talk most about the Holy Ghost are very careful to avoid completely the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. As a matter of fact, if you want to see someone lose their temper <laughs> in violation of the fruit of the Spirit, just uh, cross one of those charismatics uh, about his gift. Just disagree with them about their gift and watch them explode. You'll see people with absolutely no grace whatsoever. You say, why are you so rough about it? Because it's the truth. As a Christian, you should not be worried about your gift. You should be worried about yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit's power so he can produce fruit in, through you in your life. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 14, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Ain't that something? That describes the whole charismatic movement. Well, I've got the gift of this. I've got the gift of healing. No, you don't. If you had the gift of healing, you'd go down to the hospital and spend 12 hours a day until you exhausted yourself. And you'd, still, you'd start down at the children's hospital in Flint there. And you would not leave out of there and, uh, until everyone was healed. Tell me you got the gift of healing. You're full of it is what you are. You're full of yourself and you're full of an unclean spirit. Well, number 23, while we stay in the spirit, <laughs> the Holy Spirit can give us a holy walk as we are led by him. That's Galatians 5.25. The Bible says if we live in the spirit, 
let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live, and if you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you are in the Spirit. You are no longer in the flesh. Your, your flesh has been separated from your, your soul, and your spirit's already with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, but the Holy Spirit can give us a holy walk as we're led by him. How about number 24? The Holy Spirit assists us in putting away the things that displease the Father. And that thing starts out in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, talking about where you're the... I'll go ahead and read it here. Ephesians chapter... Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. So the context is the grieving of the Holy Spirit of God. He says, therefore, in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You say, how does that happen? The Holy Spirit has to help you do it. The Holy Spirit has to help you do it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is to help you with that. He says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Number 25, the Holy Spirit and the believer put Satan to flight by lifting up the standard against him. The Holy Spirit and the believer put Satan to flight by lifting up the standard against him. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Many times I've heard that passage preached, you know, just resist the devil, resist the devil. That's not how the verse starts. The verse starts out with you submitting yourself to God. And if you back that thing up, there's humility and submission uh, before that. But uh, the Holy Spirit, what he does uh, in the believer's life, he puts Satan to flight by lifting up the standard against him. He puts God on the devil. All right, number six, the Holy, or 26, the Holy Spirit gives rest to the soul that is trusting in the Lord. Now, I know this is a lot to take in, and maybe we'll take a breath or two right here, but uh, take a, why don't you take a look at Isaiah 63, 14. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 14. Didn't Jesus Christ say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Sometimes as Bible believers, we think it's a, it's a, a bad thing to take a rest. The Bible says in Isaiah 63, 14, As a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest, so didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. Now, if the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth, and he's going to reveal Jesus Christ to the believer and get you to testify about him, one of the things you know from Scripture is that he'll, he'll be the one to help you rest. He'll be the one to help you rest. The Holy Spirit gives rest to the soul that is trusting in the Lord. And one of the things you should take courage in is when you trust the Lord, he'll give you rest. He'll give you rest, and you can rest in the Lord. Not only that, how about number 27? The Holy Spirit makes Jesus Christ the Lord of our private life. It's like the old preacher said, the resident ought to be the president, and the boarder ought to be the boss. The resident of our house and the boarder who's come to stay with us is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit that magnifies him as the Lord and ruler in our private lives. So I'll read 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The Bible says here, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit, he makes Jesus Christ the Lord of our private lives. And if he's inside of us, he ought to be running the thing. He ought to be running the show. And a lot of preaching can be done there, because when we get saved, 
we stop remembering many times that the Lord is inside of us. The fullness of the Godhead. You have the fullness of the Godhead living inside of you through the Comforter. And we've given you a lesson that, you, that the Holy Spirit is God. So with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, He is God. He is the Lord. Well, not only that. Uh, number 28. The Holy Spirit gives liberty and freedom to the child of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now there will be always someone trying to bring you into bondage about something. There will be someone trying to get you to follow their standard or trying to get you to follow their dress code. or you know, Someone will be looking down at you because you don't do what they do and whatever and so forth. Now, who cares about that? The Bible says here in verse 17, Now the Lord is that spirit. Well, what a great verse on deity, huh? The Lord is that Spirit. That just flat out told you the Holy Spirit is God right there. And he says this, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's a beautiful verse, a beautiful verse. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit gives liberty and freedom to the child of God. Liberty and freedom. Now, there's nothing like a, a handful of believers like we are tonight meeting here in a I say little old country. It's a pretty good-sized building, but anyways, it's like we could play, uh, what do you call it, gaga ball as far as we're spaced out tonight or something like that. But uh, there's something about sitting around a cup of coffee later on or something and just having, having great liberty just to discuss anything legal or moral or ethical, amen, stuff that pleases the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You've been in a church service before, and there didn't seem to be much liberty it's like the preacher was uh, maybe tiptoeing through the tulips, didn't have the liberty. There's been a handful of times and uh, going on close to 10 years where I got behind the pulpit and I felt there was something in the way. You say, well, maybe it was you. Maybe it was. <laughs> maybe it was you. I don't know. But there wasn't the liberty to preach. But generally, when I get behind this pulpit, I have a great amount of liberty to preach whatever it is I need to preach. And let me tell you what, for a preacher, that is a beautiful thing because when well, my family and I first came here, the first uh, three years, uh, three and a half years, was not the Great Tribulation, it was close, but the first three and a half years was anything but great liberty in the pulpit. It's almost like you had to put kid gloves on every time, and you had to put bibs on the people, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, uh, so you didn't you'd destroy them, you know, and then see, and then you'd preach your guts out, and you preach your heart out, and then you see what, what scattered and splattered, and see what stuck around, you know, and see what blew out the doors or blew out the windows or whatever. See what blew up in the parking lot. But that great verse, the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. You can always tell when there's great liberty in a church service. Well, let's move on. I know you're getting tired here. I know you're getting tired here. That was number 28. How about 29? The Holy Spirit can give divine love to the children of God. Uh, give us love for people we don't like. And give us the power to forgive our enemies when normally we couldn't do it. Look at Romans chapter 5. Here's a tough one, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Lord has to grow us up through trials and tribulations and persecutions and events in our life to get to the place where we're able to, to forgive somebody that has done us a supposed wrong. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 5, and verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 
Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Let me tell you what, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because he loved you first and because now the Holy Spirit of God is enabling you to love God the way that you should and the way that you love the brethren. When you do it the right way, it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to love the brethren the way that you should, so forth and so on. And number 30, the Holy Spirit gives fullness of joy, happiness, and satisfaction to the saints even when you're approached for the name of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 4.14. This is a job of the Holy Spirit to give fullness of joy, satisfaction, even when you're approached for the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, 4.14, Bible says, And if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Here it is, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. You see that? It's the job of the Holy Spirit to help you through that thing. He says, on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So when you go through it at the workplace, you go through it at the family reunion, you go through it wherever you try to stick your neck out for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they upbraid you, that's what that word reproach means. That means they chew you out for it. You ever been chewed out for doing right? You ever been chewed out for being a Christian? You ever been chewed out how about passing a track? Surely you pass out a track and they give you some uh, rude answer. Say, I don't need to read that stuff. That's hate literature. You know, you don't, don't do what I did when I, when I was on the street sometimes and, and my kids were really young, especially uh, uh, Chuck was over, Chuck or Bean was by me and we'd preach across the street from the bar and I'd get in the flesh just like anybody wanted and uh, uh, they would refuse the track. Some, some, you know, real snooty lady would refuse a track and, and when they would refuse it from me, I didn't care. But when they refused it from my, little, my boys, that bugged me, amen? You know, nothing wrong with the boys. I'm, there's plenty of wrong with me. And I'd say uh, sometimes, well, that's all right, son. It's because she don't know how to read. <laughs> and she'd turn around, wrinkle up her face and wrinkle up her nose like it was the end of the world. And I'd go to hand it out to her. She'd stomp off. But don't be like that, amen. <laughs> but, uh, but it's the Holy Spirit can give you divine love for people you don't like, for family members you don't like. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to yield to them? You say, I just got to do better. You can't do better. Bible says all your righteousness are as filthy rags. You see that? The Bible says without me you can do nothing. You've got to say, all right, Lord, obviously I don't have what it takes, and I can't guide my own life, and if I try it, it's just going to be a continual mess. So, Father, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit and work through me what only the Holy Spirit can do? And you'd be surprised what the Holy Spirit will do. You'd be surprised if you're willing to yield to him. Uh, here's number 31, the Holy Spirit strengthens the inward man uh, with spiritual power and power to resist the devil. That's Ephesians 3.16. The Holy Spirit strengthens the inward man with spiritual power. <clears throat> Bible says in Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Have there been times in your Christian life where you have felt so spiritually weak that you thought you're just going to Throw in the towel and give up, fall over, put up the white flag to whoever comes by, but yet you didn't. You know why? It's the Holy Spirit. He came along right at the right time, and he endued you with power. He strengthened you in the inner man. You did everything you could to stay in fellowship with the Lord, and even though it wasn't three chapters or four chapters or ten chapters, you meditated on his word, and you asked him for help, and he helped you out. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Here's number 32, the Holy Spirit gives righteousness, peace, and joy to the Lord's children, according to Romans 14, 7, and 15, 3. 
Romans 14, 17, the Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You ever wonder why some Christians are so sour? You ever why some Christians are just melancholy all the time? It's like someone, you know, it's like they're a cat and they're in a room full of rocking chairs. Now, I'm not talking about being hilarious and out of control, but just some Christians are a bunch of sour pussies. You ever notice that? They're just crabby, you know? But that Bible says, the Bible says in 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, preacher, but not everything's a shout. Yeah, but not everything's a prune face either, sucker. <laughs> you see what I mean? Not everything's, you know, you have to be wrinkled about everything. Not everything's about that old farmer with a pitchfork and his daughter sitting there like they're, like they're constipated or something, you know. <laughs> Maybe they need the prunes, I don't know. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. Isn't that interesting? All joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope to the power of the Holy Ghost. You know who gives you the refill on joy? It's the job of the Holy Ghost. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to give you the refill on joy. But you have to realize when you're empty. You have to realize when you're empty. I'll a couple more and we'll call it a night. Number 33, the Holy Spirit reveals, interprets, and applies the deep things of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I'll read the passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 14. The Bible says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed that. I mean, you read that passage, you're like, okay, we don't get it, and now in this verse we do get it. <laughs> You ever read your Bible and just scratch your head and go, what are you even talking about? Because in verse 9 he says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor, uh, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Well, verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, for what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God, so forth and so on. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit here to reveal, interpret, and apply those deep things that maybe you don't quite understand. It's all right to lean on the Holy Spirit when you don't know something. It's all right to ask the Lord for help in your understanding. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to do so. When you go to sit down to read your Bible, you do well to ask the uh, we often pray here before we preach and teach. I pray that you'd open my eyes and may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You say, well, I don't think I need to pray that. Okay, well, you pray whatever you think you need to. But I'll tell you what I know is I'm getting to sit down in front of a holy book, and I'm an unholy individual. This is a supernatural book, and I'm telling you what, if I'm going to understand it, I have to have the Holy Spirit teach it to me, and I have to have the Holy Spirit interpret it for me, and I have to have the Holy Spirit apply it in the right place. And that is the job of the Holy Spirit. He reveals, he interprets, and he applies the deep things of God. And this looks like a good place to put her in park and call it a night. 33 out of 44, not bad. If I'd have done 11 more, y'all would have been like, we're done. <laughs> Amen. Thank the Lord for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank the Lord for the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, by the time we're done, y'all will be experts on these passages, and they'll just click, click like that. All right, why don't you stand?